Alex next week will be preaching on the relationship between children and parents, not just little children. He's going to speak as well to the responsibility that all of us have, no matter what our age, uh, to our parents. Uh, and then the following week, Andy will be speaking on the relationship and role of parents in the lives of their children as we work our way through uh, the family foundation section of the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Technically, today's message is about being a wife. It's about being a wife in accordance with the laws and the principles and the ways and the design of God. I want you to think as we move through this text this morning that really what we are looking at is not just the role of a wife, but we are learning why we are all here. We're going to see that we are all image bearers of God who are called to spread the kingdom of God over the entire earth. And, and what we need to do, each of us, is to understand our place, our role, in that grand design of God. Whether you are single, whether you are married, whether you are young, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, or children, the secret, I want us to hear this, the secret to lasting joy in our lives is not found in pursuing all we want to be, but in pursuing all we were made to be. The secret to joy in our lives is not found in pursuing all we want to be or wish we were, but in discovering and pursuing all we were made to be. This, this runs counter to the world. This, this doesn't fit nicely into the mold of, of contemporary thinking. But it's true nonetheless. The definition and the meaning of life comes. It is found, it is discovered, it is enjoyed as we seek to discern what we were made to be. And then fulfilling that role in life. I was, I was thinking this week about the ugliest animals on the face of the earth. I don't know if you've ever Googled what are the ugliest animals. Uh, and it's quite an amusing and shocking. And, and you do wonder what our Lord was thinking about when he made some of these creatures. The, historically, the warthog has been ranked high as among the ugliest of the creatures. But I, I discovered this week that there is one that now ranks higher than the warthog, and it is the blob fish. I believe we have a picture of a blob fish for you. Uh, I understand why it's number one. But, you, you know, you can take it down now. It will be distracting. <laughs> Here's an interesting question, though. Who do you think is more content? The blobfish or your normal average human being? I'm hearing the right answers. 
It is the blobfish. The blobfish has never had a discontented, unhappy moment in his life. Do you know why? Because he is being who he was made to be. You see, our discontentment, our unhappiness in life comes from when we wish we were something different than we are, or had something different than we have, or could become something different that we would rather be. But all of us were made to be something. The blobfish was made to be the blobfish. He was made to make you and me laugh. He was made just to exist in all of his blobfishness. And he is content. He never spends a day wishing he could be something else. And yet, we spend so many of our days wishing that we could be something else. The most unhappy, ungrateful, discontented creatures on the planet are human beings even though we are made in the image of God and for the glory of God to experience the love of God in ways the blobfish never can. Joy comes, lasting joy comes, not, not from aspiring to be what we are not, but aspiring to be what we were made for. And I do believe, friends, that we can learn that in part as we look at this text and discover the role and the calling of a wife in marriage. So follow as we proceed here. I'm going to, I'm going to call attention to two major points in our message today. The nature of a wife's calling and then the security that enables her calling. So what is the nature of it? What's the meaning of it? What is it? And then what is the security, what is the strength that allows her to fulfill that calling? So I'm, gonna, I'm going to summarize what Paul teaches here and scriptures teach in this way. A wife is called to respect her husband by aligning her life with his in the work of the kingdom of God. A wife is called to respect her husband by aligning her life with his in the work of the kingdom of God. That she is called to respect her husband is very clear in verse 33 as Paul summarizes the text. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Very strong word here actually for respect. It's the same word that's used earlier in chapter 5 for our reverence or our respect for Christ. A, a wife is to hold her husband in high regard. She is to respect him, to honor him. A wife is called to respect her husband. How? By aligning her life with his in the work of God. Now I get that phrase, aligning her life with his, from the word, the S word that's in this text that nobody likes, wives 
submit to your own husband. Now we need to make sure we understand this because it's it just fraught with all kinds of emotional baggage and all the rest. What what does Paul mean here? Well, let's begin with the word itself. The word is actually a compound Greek word. The Greek word is made of two smaller words, one meaning to arrange and the other under. So a wife is called to arrange her life under the leadership of her husband. She is to fall into line with, she is to align her life with, and in some ways yield to the leadership of her husband. Now, we need to make sure we understand what that does not mean. It does not mean subservience. It does not mean inferiority. It does not mean that the wife must do everything the husband says. It does not mean that the husband is superior or that the husband is the boss or the master in ways that we normally think of those words. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that a wife and a mom cannot protect herself or her children from her husband if he is abusive or consistently and maliciously negligent. It does not mean that the man is smarter or wiser or more gifted or more competent or even for that matter a better leader than she is. But what it says is that a wife is called to respect her husband by aligning her life with his in the work of the kingdom of God. Now, Paul tells us a few things about this in verses 22 and 23. He, he tells us the direction of this call to submission. What does he say? Wives submit to your own husbands. Wives are not obligated to submit to somebody else's husband. They're not obligated to submit to every man. This is saying nothing about what happens in the workplace or in other places. This is talking about family. This is talking about marriage. These are instructions for the home. Then Paul says in verse 22 that the motivation for this submission is as to the Lord. In other words, this is an expression of a woman's, of a wife's, Devotion to Christ. It is an expression of the fact that above all else, she is a, a woman of God. She is someone who belongs to Jesus. And because of her dedication to Christ, her devotion to the Lord, and her wanting to serve Christ, she aligns her life with her husband. And then Paul tells us the extent of this call. In verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. Now, we need to qualify. We need to qualify. The Bible assumes here at least two exceptions to this in everything. One of those exceptions is if the husband wants the wife to sin. We must obey God rather than men. The other exception, I believe, is if the husband is abusive or violent toward her or her children or irresponsible in such a way that their lives are imperiled, there is a need for a wife at times to take action to protect and not submit. 
But the point of Paul's in everything here is that he is saying to wives that there is a kind of comprehensiveness to this. There, you're not supposed to compartmentalize your life and say, well, I'll submit here but not here. I'll, I, I want to reserve this for my own agenda, for my own life. She is to align her life with her husband's. We realize we need this, right? Not just in marriage, we need it everywhere. I was thinking about various scenarios in, in human experience that where it's needed that some people align themselves behind the leadership of others. So in a classroom, it's important that there be some kind of alignment, don't you think? Um, so that the teacher is leading the way. Or on a sports team, there needs to be alignment. There needs to be a lining up behind the leadership of the team. Uh, in government, imagine what it would be like if there wasn't in alignment, you have to imagine what it's like. We are seeing in government and in our nation the effects of, of inadequate, poor leadership and followership at every level. At every level. Imagine the blue route without some kind of alignment behind the law or Lansdowne Avenue. We're everybody for themselves, everybody with their own agenda. You see, in all of life, there, there is the need for leadership. There is the need for followership. The joy comes, blessing comes, safety comes. When everyone is walking in mutual love and respect, fulfilling the roles that are given to them. But here is where the rub is. Here is where the challenge is. Here for our sisters in the Lord, for women in general in our culture, there is this, this instinctive, understandable fear that submission somehow means inferiority and danger. There's some kind of nastiness attached to this. It creates heart issues, doesn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm sensing that in this room there may well be a kind of collective female squirm going on right now, where there, there's just an uneasiness. Does the Bible actually teach that, that women are inferior, wives are inferior, husbands are superior? What? No, it does not. Let me, let me give you three reasons why I know this does not mean that. Why I know it does not mean that wives are to be subservient or slaves or doormats. Reason number one, the submission of Christ. I want, you, I want you to think about the eternal Son of God. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, The head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God, is God the Father. You say, I thought Jesus and the Father were equals. They are. I thought the eternal Son of God was one with God, that He was co-equal, co-eternal in all of His attributes, in all of His glory, in all of His deity with the Father He is. I, I thought Jesus is the eternal Creator and Lord of all. Yes, He is. Equal with the Father. Yet, for the sake of our salvation, for the outworking of the plan of redemption, the Son submitted to the will of the Father. Equal in value, equal in worth, equal in glory, and yet submitted to the Father. The submission of the Son. Or, 
Even more amazing is the submission of Jesus to his parents. In Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus, as a child, submitted to Mary and Joseph. Same Greek word. Think about that. Jesus is the creator. Jesus made Joseph and Mary. Jesus created them, gave them life, put breath in their lungs, sustained their life in a very real sense by the power of the Spirit, put his own life into Mary's womb, and Jesus submits to that. Amazing. That's not just equal. He is infinitely their superior. And yet, for the sake of our salvation, he submits to that. So ladies, when it says, wives, submit to your husbands, it has nothing to do with superiority or inferiority. You are absolutely the man's equal. In some respects, he's superior. While in other respects, your husband is your superior, but you are equal in worth and equal in value and equal in created dignity and honor, yet called to align your life with his. And then there is the sacrifice of the husband. You know, we look, we look at Ephesians 2, verses 22 through 24, and we see this call to submission, and there's, there's a challenge there, there's a struggle there. But I sometimes think we, we overlook the impact of verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Understand this, ladies and gentlemen, the sacrifice of a husband is immense. It is everything. It may seem like the call to submission is sexist or male dominance or whatever you want, but that's only if you don't understand the call to the husband. The call to the husband is, men, lay down your life and do it just like Jesus did. How did he do it? He left his father's glory. He left his father's side. He left heaven. He left splendor. He left majesty. He left the singing of the angels in glory who were saying, as Isaiah 6 says, uh, that they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory. He left all of that, inhabited a stable, suffered every kind of humiliation and dishonor and shame that is imaginable and was obedient all the way to the cross to die for our sins on the cross. And God says to us, husbands, love your wives that way. Love your wives that way. Suffer whatever you need to suffer for their good. Men, we heard about that last week. I reinforce it today. Gentlemen, die. Die. For the happiness and the holiness and the wholeness of your bride. Die daily for her, just like Jesus died for you. Ladies, please understand, the call to submission is no more difficult than the call to sacrifice for the husband. And we could sit here and argue back and forth, which is harder. I would say they are equally difficult, because they are all or nothing propositions. If the wife is to submit 
to Christ or to her husband in everything, and the husband is to pour out his life for his wife. It sounds to me like that's all in on both sides. There's no such thing as a me marriage. It's an us thing. It's a sacrifice thing, and it's a commitment thing, and it's a everything thing. Everything in for the sake of others. Why is this not inferiority? Well, because submission is something Jesus did. And it's whatever your husband is truly called to. And then third, not only is there the submission of Christ and the sacrifice of the husband, but there is also the story of the Bible. The story of creation. I want you to see this. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning here and the time that remains and see if we can, we can glean something from the original account of creation that sets marriage and the roles of husbands and wives in their proper context. Look at, look at Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. And if you don't know where Genesis is, just go right to the beginning of your Bible. It's pretty close to page 1 in your Bible. Verse 26 of chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now what I want you to see here is that humans were made in the image of God. And there's a lot of layers to what that means. But one of the layers is that it means that they were made to represent God and rule the world for His glory. They would have dominion over everything. Everything in the world, everything in the universe was, was to serve the joy of man and the glory of God. And Paul, God goes on here to command Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. This we call in theology, we call this the cultural mandate. The responsibility that human beings have to cultivate art and music and culture so that everything brings glory to God. Nothing has changed. It's still our mandate. Still our mandate. This earth is here for us to care for, to protect, but also to rule, to subdue for the glory of God. The only thing that's changed between then and now is sin has entered the world. And so now the kingdom of God and the dominion of God has been attacked by sin. And part of our role is, is to help, so to speak, restore the kingdom through our gospel witness hearing yesterday about uh, those that went out to the 69th street and, and just sharing the gospel with uh, people that were there and to hear that two people professed faith in Christ that was kingdom work going on folks 
at the advance of the throne of Jesus Christ. Two new hearts have a new throne. Jesus reigns in those hearts now. That's our calling, to, to rule the world through and advance the kingdom of God. Male and female created for this purpose. Now, let's see how this played out. I want you to see this. This is, in my mind, this is amazing. This is glorious. So, if you look at chapter 2, let's see how the Adam and Eve thing, the male and female thing, worked out. In verse 7 of chapter 2, the Lord God formed the man, Adam, out of dust, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God made Adam first. Now go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's have dominion and subdue the earth. It's, it's fulfilling his role. Representing God on the planet. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then, then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and so forth. And then later on in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And when he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Alright, I want us to make sure that we're getting what's going on here. God made Adam. God made Adam, placed him in the garden, said, Adam, take care of him. Rule and subdue the earth. Take care of him. God puts Adam in the garden. God takes a step back, if you will, looks at the situation and says, okay, something's missing. God gives to Adam the role of having dominion in the earth, takes a step back and realizes, no, this isn't going to work. He needs help. You women have been saying that ever since. <laughs> he needs help. God's, what God is saying here, understand this. The original design, we saw a couple weeks ago, ultimately the design and purpose of marriage is to show us the love of Christ for the church. But after that, the purpose of marriage is this. God had given Adam the responsibility to rule the earth and advance his kingdom and his glory. And God saw that the man was not up for the task. The man was inadequate to do it. And so God says, I need to make him a helper fit for him. And ladies, don't hear helper as inferior. The Hebrew word that is used there is used a number of times for God, who is our helper. It speaks of strong help. It speaks of the fact that the man by himself was inadequate. The man needed the woman. Why? To rule the earth and have kingdom authority on this planet. 
The man didn't need the woman. Don't picture the Garden of Eden with Adam laying around, hanging out in his hammock, and Eve feeding him grapes. That's not what was happening. What we have here is Adam as the Lord, the, the appointed Lord of creation, under God, Lord of creation, Eve as the Lady of creation. Lord and Lady. These are, these are positions of, other than God, the highest honor in all of creation. Man, woman, Adam, Eve, husband, wife, side by side for the work of the kingdom of God. And yes, Adam, Eve was made after Adam to follow his lead, but not to be behind him or underneath him, but to be alongside of him, working for the kingdom of God. I love how... Matthew Henry, the pastor of the 19th century pastor, summarizes this. He says, the woman was made of a rib out of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be beloved by him. And then I add, and at his right hand to be his right hand. This is God's design. Now get this. Headship means that the husband was made to take initiative to advance the dominion, the kingdom of God in this world. The wife's role in aligning her life with her husband's is to be with her husband in that kingdom work. To advance the kingdom of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be married to be engaged in the kingdom of God. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 teaches us that there are many for whom singleness is a more effective way to be doing kingdom work. It's a way to do kingdom work without the distractions of marriage and family life. And if a person is able to do that and, and can pursue that, there is great joy and fulfillment and meaning in that. But if we are married, we need to understand that our marriages are meant to be kingdom partnerships. Gentlemen, it is not about getting what you want. It's not about being the king of the roost. It's not about being lord of your home. It's about being lord of the, of the world, so to speak, as a human being with your lady alongside of you. Doing whatever you can do together, sharing your gifts, pooling your abilities, developing your potential. To make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God that is possible for a man and a woman to do together. That's what it's about. Oh, that's different than what I thought. I, I hope it does help. Now this, we're, not, we're not talking about subservience. And we're not talking about servility. And we're not talking about inferiority. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about being made in the image of God. And yes, there's male and there's female. That's by God's design. And if you're male, stay there. And live in the good of it. 
And if you are female, stay that way. And see the potential and the glory of it. And let us walk together forward for the kingdom of God. Let us realize that it is as we partner, if we're married, as we partner, as we cooperate, as we live out life together for kingdom purposes, it is then God's going to do great things. It's when our own agenda gets in the way. It's when we want to be something other than we are. It's when we want to pursue something we're not made to be that we get off track and the kingdom suffers and our lives suffer and our marriages suffer and our children suffer. But it's as we see what we were made for, be image bearers of God, male and female alike, and live for the glory of God. And if you're married, do that together in harmony and unity. Men lead, but women we need you. Oh, she's not here. I'm not sure where Gaylene is this morning. I think she must be in children's ministry. She must have been drafted. Either that or she's been raptured. And all, all the rest of us are, are still here. That would be disappointing. <laughs> I have spent time this week thinking about my lady. In many ways, my superior. My superior. But I know for a fact, I can't do whatever it is I do for the kingdom of God without her. Thanking God on this Father's Day, I'm thanking God for a wife and the mother of my children who has aligned I'm glad she isn't here, I can say this. She, she has aligned her life and her gifts with mine for the sake of the kingdom. That great sacrifice. Oh, ladies, this is a great honor. Not because following your husband is a great honor, but being an image bearer of God is a great honor. And making a difference for the kingdom is a great honor. You say, I'm not sure how I could have courage for that. Not sure I, how I could have faith for that. Let me close by saying this. You can have faith for Ephesians 5 if you believe Ephesians 1 through 3. Because in Ephesians 1 through 3, what have we learned? We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That means we have everything we need. So even if my, if you're a wife, even if my husband's a deadbeat, I still have everything I need in Jesus. We need to understand in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have already ascended with Christ into the heavenly places. That we are destined for heaven. We are destined for glory. It's so secure, so sure that nothing can stop it. We are going to glory. We are going to heaven. Even if we die here today, the next step, the next breath is glory. If I know that, I can live a fearless life. Because what can man do to me? The worst, the best, the worst and the best he can do for me is take my life. Take my life and I'm in hell. 
Don't take my life, but serve them. We, we have to know that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have to know that we are destined for heaven with and in Christ. And we have to know at the end of verse chapter 3 that we have been loved with an infinite love. That's why Paul prays so fervently for us, that we would know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. Oh, if we know all that we have in Christ, every spiritual blessing, if we, are, we know that we are destined for heaven to be with Christ, already seated with Him in glory, and if we know that we are loved with an infinite, infinite love by Christ, here and now, until we get to glory, then we will have the courage, we will have the confidence to do life here and now, no matter how hard it may be. So you can't do Ephesians 5 without Ephesians 1 through 3. But if we live in the good of the gospel, in Christ we have everything. Then we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so... There's a little bit of a window into marriage as defined by God. Oh, let's lift it up from the dullness and mundaneness of everyday life, right? Let's see it for this kingdom purpose. And let's find our joy not in trying to be something we were not made to be or something we just want to be. Let's find our joy in being what we were made to be. Male and female, husband and wife, single, old, young, black, white, every shade in between. Let us be what we were made to be for his glory, for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may these truths be truths that actually comfort, elevate, bring a sense of dignity and worth and value and significance to even the most mundane and difficult challenges of our days. Father, bless our marriages. Please, please, Father, envision husbands to be this kind of man. Envision wives to be this kind of woman. Oh Lord, bless our marriages. Bless our singles. Bless those who are bereaved. Bless those who are alone. Help them to know, Lord, that there is still great kingdom purpose in their lives. Help them to see the calling that you have placed upon their life. To, to grasp it and to pursue it with contentment and peace and confidence knowing that they are in Christ and being in Him, they have everything they need. And Lord, do go with us as we leave this place. Fill us with faith, fill us with hope, fill us with confidence in Your Word. Keep us from the evil one Keep us from the influences and the lies and the seductions of the world that tells us the complete opposite of everything we've heard this morning. 
Help us to put our fingers in our ears and to just move forward following you. Keep us from evil and the evil one. Keep us from harm. May the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, may the love of God our Father, may the comfort and help of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, I pray. For your glory, for our joy, for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. Amen. We have... We have